Welcome to Beyond the Shop Floor podcast. My name is Ange. I am your host and your original retail career girl. I'm here to unlock the secret universe of fashion and beauty career success on the shop floor and beyond. With a global net worth of US $24 trillion, the retail industry is a thriving one. I am a fashion career retailer and recruitment expert who champions professionals to wave their retail and fashion career flag proudly. Join us as we drop a new podcast talking all things career and interviewing some of the most prominent, inspiring and epic retail and fashion guests in Australia. Tune in. Welcome back to Be On The Shop Floor podcast. My name is Ange and I have a very exciting guest to kick off our year. I hope everyone had a fantastic break. Although it might have been more staycation than vacation, I am super excited to be back, feeling refreshed. Um, and ready to dive into a year of podcasting. We already have had such phenomenal guests join us this season, which has been really lovely. Um, you know, for clarity, everyone actually generously donates their time, um, as do I, to, to, you know, produce this podcast and bring it to you. And, you know, I hope that it inspires and brings awareness and advocates for some career pathways in retail that you might not otherwise have considered. Um, Of course, if you do enjoy the podcast, we would love for you to share the love, you know, and uh, either share our podcast post through Instagram or pop on to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Um, There is a lot of behind the scenes work that goes into these podcasts. So we really love it when we get your feedback, Um, make sure that we're on the right path and that, you know, we're delivering you the content that you'd like to see. Today's guest is a very inspiring woman who is a little bit of a trailblazer, if I don't say so myself. Um, I have on the show today Sophie Large, who is currently the general manager of Mulberry Australia. Now, Sophie has had a really interesting career story. She started on the shop floor, of course, selling Chanel fragrance and then essentially moved her way through from there. She has, uh, you know, felt the glass ceiling of working in retail. How do you get off the shop floor and into an area manager role? How do you move from an area manager role to a regional or into a national role? Um, Which she has done all of the above. She moved to Perth um, for a role. So she talks to us all about moving interstate to get your dream job and whether it's worth it Um, and what she thinks you can do to get noticed in your current role. Sophie is super inspiring, very commercial and really gives us a lot of tangible tips that you can actually kind of really implement in your day-to-day life in order to get ahead. I'm very excited to dive in and introduce you to Sophie. So let's get started. So let's dive in then and talk about, um, obviously, you're in a general manager role now. Sure. Um, How does that differ for our listeners? Like, how does that differ from being a national retail manager? Mm -hmm. Sure. So I guess um, for me and my general manager role and what it entails, it's probably been pretty defined by the actual business that I work in. Yeah. We run business it's a small business um probably like when i was you know when i was considering this earlier the biggest difference for me is probably the role itself comes with a, a lot more responsibility and, and accountability so yeah um, i feel like when my director gave this role to me it was almost like his um I, like getting his blessing in a way to say um i'm giving you permission to almost um share ideas more, speak up more, and give me the confidence to probably do that. So mm. um, I think with the role, there comes a whole lot of um, more of an expectation to bring ideas for the, to the table, to mm. um, create new ways to do things, deliver outcomes. In the pandemic, um, you know, you're almost seen as like the, well, what do we do? Like, what's, what's, mm. how do we solve this? What do you think we should do with staff? Should we stand people down? So you're absolutely yeah. expected to kind of come up with the answers more as where I think, um, in maybe the the national retail role um, prior to that, it was pretty sales centric. You're almost told what you what to do. Here's the plan. Mm. Follow it through. Um, mm-hmm. Add a bit of creativity or a few ideas sprinkled through here and there. But ultimately, you've got to come up with the ideas, and you're really responsible for delivering whatever the outcome is. Um, yeah, I think something that I've really struggled with the role that the role does in, entail is is a lot of forward planning. Mm. 
picture, thinking more long-term. I think in the, in the national retail role or the sales roles that I've had, it's been really reactive. Mm. How are we delivering budget? How are we making a target? How are we recruiting this person by next week, by this week, by tomorrow? Um, mm. And with this role, you're obviously a bit more of a visionary, I guess, and you've really got to think long-term where the business is headed. Um, how do you keep that person um, uh, content or you know motivated or progressing within the business within the next 12, 18, 24 months. So something that I'm not um, I'm not very good at, like I guess in life or in general, is probably <laughs> considering more than the next three or four four weeks. So that for me has been something that's changed for sure. You can't just think about the now. Um, I think yeah. when you're in this role, you're, you're trusted to really think about what the decision you're making today, what impact that will have on the on the future. So you, you're really really responsible for a, a lot more and almost like a, I guess, a right-hand man to yeah. the director or the founder or the, you know, the person at the, at the top of the business. At the top, yeah. I mean, it's hard to be proactive in a retail business traditionally anyway, isn't it? There's so much you have to respond to in the moment. So don't be too hard on yourself. I was exactly the same way. Um, but so maybe do you want to give us a little bit of a snapshot of like how you've got to where you are? Because I know you did start on the shop floor and you've had some really interesting roles. Do you want to share with our listeners a bit more about your career stories um, to date? Sure. I, I, lo- I love sharing this with people. It's something I'm so proud of. And um, I think some of my favourite times in retail were when I was in, you know, in the four walls of, of a store. But I, I was in, um, I was, I was on the on the shop floor and in, in stores probably for around three years um, yeah. before I um, made my way into my first, you know, multi-site area manager role. Um, my first uh, shop floor role was actually at Chanel. I was seventeen and I was a fragrance um, the spraying girl, you know, <laughs> Meyer and David Jones in Burke Street. Um, as as well as some little suburban, you know, um, um, d- department stores as well. Um, and so that's that's where I guess my um, interest in not just retail tweets, but um, but also probably luxury retail. Um, mm. You know, I remember what I remember about doing that is wearing the most beautiful little Chanel um, kind of two piece suit, having my hair and makeup beautifully done, the Chanel ribbon in my hair. But I do remember, um, you know, it was like the 22nd, the 23rd of, of December having these um what I remember is middle-aged men in suits coming straight up to me kind of not desperate but knowing exactly what they wanted and wanting the 100 mil Chanel number five maybe with the matching bath um wash and the and the and the soap and I remember being like wow there's there's people out there that like um really appreciate luxury this much don't really have um any um, worries or an issue with spending that much? I just couldn't believe that people would spend yeah. money on a on a phrase <laughs> soap or whatever it was. So, um, you know, for me, that was kind of where I realised that um, that was um, that was kind of a world that existed and certainly wasn't the world that that, that I knew of or I was brought up in. Um, yeah. But also, the other thing I um, I remember about that role that I loved was um, being given a, a daily budget and chasing the budget on your shift. So every time you sold um, the bottle of fragrance or every time you made a sale, you'd run over, it was super manual in those days, you'd run <laughs> board and you'd write in your clipboard the sale that you made. So um, so I really, um, really loved that role and um, found a few things within that role that kind of sparked something within me that um, probably otherwise would, wouldn't, wouldn't have. Um, yeah. After Chanel, I was um, really lucky to land a role as um, a store manager at Mimco. Um, mm. in a suburban DFO outlet mall. Um, so not luxury, not glam, not, um, <laughs> not, not like Chanel at all. Um, <sighs> this was probably where my actual like career in retail took off. Um, I was studying commerce at the time. I decided to just do that part-time so I could really invest myself in my full-time store manager role. Um, and it was three years that I, um, two or three years that I spent there on, on the shop floor, um, made my way into a flagship store manager role at Chadson and it was um, after a year in that role that um, I was really lucky to be offered a um, an area manager role. But I think my favourite role of all time in the last 12 or 13 years is that, was actually that, that store manager. Yeah. In college, Shadston. I just, I just remember learning everything for the first time: how to roster, how to strategically roster, how to do your wages, um, how to, you know, upsell, how to calculate IPT and average dollar. Like, 
um, just, you know, all the basics. That's, that's where I learned that. Um, and the business at the time was when I, when I commenced with Mimco, I think they had 40 stores. When I left, they had 110, 120. So yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. To be a part of. So, um, yeah. that was, that was kind of, um, I guess my, my shop floor journey. Yeah, nice. Okay, amazing. And then obviously you started moving into multi-site roles. And so tell us a little bit more about sort of from that point through to now, where have you kind of been? Yeah, I was really lucky that Mimco, um, Mimco offered me a role that was um, based out of Perth, uh-huh. and well, Perth, Adelaide and Singapore. I'd never been to Perth. I'd never been to Adelaide. And I'd been to Singapore a few times on like shopping trips with my mum. So I was kind of well-versed enough in, you know, the shopping landscape over there and malls trading from, you know, 10 till midnight. And um, mm. yeah, I yeah, I didn't know much about Perth. didn't know much about Adelaide. And I really didn't want to go. I was a bit of a homebody, still lived at home with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends were still at uni. So, we, you know, we'd go out every weekend and it just, you know, it was just a bit of a, it was going to be a bit of a shock to the system, but um, my state manager at the time at Mimco, um, who would who would essentially be my um, my not my equal, my my peer, I guess. If mm-hmm. I control, um, she made me sit down with her and write a silly pros and cons list, and I was mm-hmm. barely anything in the cons column. So um, it was that list. I remember exactly where I was with her. I remember the the exact pink marker we used to write this, to write this list. It was doing that exercise with her that actually. Um, that was the, I guess, the the reason why um, or the thing that pushed me to, to go and do that. So I moved cool. over to Perth um, to take on that role. It was my first time travelling, um, you know, almost on a, I guess, a weekly fortnightly basis. Um, it was the first time I'd ever kind of dipped my toes into any sort of international retail. That was completely different. Mimco in Australia, it's in, it was incredibly easy to recruit for. It was, you know, an iconic brand that everyone wanted to work for with great, great product, a really incredible creative director at the time. Um, but over in Singapore, nobody knew what Mimco was. So yeah, finding staff over there and, um, you know, putting the brand on the map and really selling the story over there and, you know, um, getting people to understand why it was so, so incredible and wanting to, to be a part of that um, was kind of my, my challenge over there. Um, after being in Perth for a year, I moved back to Melbourne and worked for um, a suiting um, company, Rhodes and Beckett. Yes. And Rhodes and Beckett, the um, the director, the owner of that business in Australia, along with um, I guess his right hand man, um, uh, I guess the, the general manager at the time, um, they're sort of the people that I work for today. So um, the move back to um, Melbourne was was definitely worth it in in my eyes. I've I've I've, I've left and come back a few times, but mm. there are definitely um, two people that um, I've stuck with since since eight or mm. nine, a few few different businesses, but. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I've ended up where I am now. Within that time, um, I did spend a year in Sydney as well. So I was with mm. Parfums and Cosmetic for a little while um, and spent a, a year in Sydney, moved up there. Um, and I think all of this interstate travel, again, I'm a homebody. I really miss home when I travel. But gosh, it um, it does bode well when you're sitting in a conversation with someone talking about Pacific Fair or talking mm. about um, Bondi or talking about Claremont over in Perth, like mm. um, be able to actually know these places and put them on a map and understand who their customer is shopping there or the development they're about to go through um it does um it really helps that i've actually been there that i've actually lived there and that i've actually seen seen some of that um so um yeah well i'm very happy to be back in melbourne and don't really have an intention to (laughs) move i'm pretty settled here here now but um i don't really have the intention to move anywhere soon it's um it's great to be able to touch down in sydney when i'm visiting for work for work And know exactly where I need to go. Um, where is a great place to get a smoothie? Where is the best place to stay? Where's convenient yeah. to park your car? Um, so yeah, I've had had a little bit of time interstate, and um, I'm really grateful that I've had those opportunities to do. To yeah, do. what a cool. Honestly, I love hearing your story because it's it's amazing. And I think as well, I mean, you did your first step into. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm being cheeky and asking this question, but your first step into multi-site, you were relatively young, right? If I was, um, yeah, I would have been almost 20. Yeah, yeah, cool. 20, yeah, 2021. 20, um, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've been, been very, very lucky. Yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, lucky and and obviously you capitalize on opportunities, you know, so you see an opportunity and you obviously go for it, which is amazing. And so obviously speaking of, because I think we've obviously had quite a similar trajectory in terms of our career paths and I I love that, but there is obviously a lot of store managers who feel like they struggle to get noticed for opportunities. What advice would you give? And also, like, I suppose framing that by the fact that you've worked for small businesses and you've worked for large businesses, and do you feel like that's had any impact on the opportunities that have come your way? Like, what advice do you have for store managers who are like, man, I just cannot catch a break here? Yeah, I remember this feeling. Like, I remember so desperately wanting to take this step um, and move from a store manager into that next multi-site area manager. So I, I, I just remember this feeling so desperately wanting this. And you know what's funny? I remember the feeling coming back a few years later when I wanted to step into the next national thing or something on a national level. So yeah, I, I really get this. I think... Um, I think um, there's there's a few things that when I think back to my time and um, I guess standing out um, that you know were were pretty key for me and were pretty important in, in in landing some of those those roles. But I do think it is key to um, to try and do exactly that, stand out from the competition. So maybe mm. your um, your peer group of store managers. And I actually don't think it's that hard to do. Um, I think the first thing that was important for me was um, forging relationships with the people that make those decisions and, and that count the most. So mm. at MIMCO, sure, that was um, my, um, you know, the state manager at the time and the national retail manager, but also the creative director, also the mm. head of PM, also the head of marketing. You, I think you really need to get noticed by everybody that has a pretty, um, pretty important voice, voice at the table, because I think it all, um, I think it all, all counts. Mm. Um, and I really, again, don't think, don't think it's, um, don't think it's actually that hard to, to stand out from the crowd. Um, at MIMCO, we used to have um, every quarter, I think it was every quarter, we used to have these like business reviews and you would go into head office and you would sit down with the state manager and the national retail manager and you'd present your, almost like your store's business plan for the next three months. And you were given a template. So if you weren't very, you know, computer savvy, um, <laughs> a template, you just had to fill in numbers and fill in the points. This for me was um, a huge opportunity to stand out from my competition. So say that mm. 15, 20 odd store managers in Melbourne. Um, I like, I used to love school projects. I like making things, you know, nice fonts and printing them and putting them in binders and, you know, making <laughs> them wonderful. Um, I remember with this, I used to make my present, again, I'd print out my presentation. I'd change all the fonts. I'd make it so magical with pictures and images and put it in a beautiful folder, but I wouldn't just take two copies to give to my state manager and um, national retail manager. I figured if I was in head office that day, I'd print another three or four spare and pop them on the desk of the general manager, pop them on the desk of the um, of the finance director and some yeah. of the and to this day, I know the, the, I think he was the CFO at MIMCO at the time. Um, I know to this day, that's the one thing that he remembers about me. And that was 10 years ago that I left this silly presentation on his desk. Um, and how it was the most wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, so, you know, they're just little, uh, you know, that's just a little thing you can do to kind of stand out from the crowd. But I, but I think, you know, I think, I think that's, that's ultimately what you've got to try and do with the people that, um, with the people that, uh, you know, are maybe at the top of the business or the, the top of the hierarchy or yeah. you know, have a say in that decision of whether you get that promotion or not. Um, I love that. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's, um, that's something that stood out to me, um, you know, with this particular particular point mm-hmm. um and i think the other thing it's it's obvious like results count um mm. i think my um if i look at my team at the moment who's next in line for a promotion or who would who would be the next people in line for a promotion um other people that actually have delivered results through the pandemic um mm. people that have been being consistent performers so you know ultimately you're pro- probably it's unlikely that loyalty I think would be enough to land you in um in your next role or you know see you get that promotion or that progression I Mm. think loyalty does count for a lot but I think on top of that like you've got to be able to show results in you know whatever part of your role whether it's you know you've um you've um had great team tenure um Mm. you've actually had the strongest KPIs the great convert the greatest conversion um the greatest mystery shop result you know whatever it might be but I do think um results count so yeah, you know, I think that's ultimately going to be the thing that gets you um, from from a, from A to B at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely, it's so true, isn't it? And I think as well, like sometimes people do uh, struggle with that whole idea of like, oh, I've been here the longest, and so it, 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 
therefore should be me. Um, and unfortunately, it's um, it's not the case, is it? I think it, I think it counts for something. That um, in the Christmas card I get from my current director, who I've been with a long time, every year he says, "Thank you for your loyalty," and I I love reading that. Yeah, I think it counts yeah. for something. But um, yeah, without without runs on the board, I just think you know it's it's going to be trickier for you to to get to that next thing that you're after. Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of already touched on this before when you were telling us about your career story. Did you ever think you might not be a career retailer? Um, I always wanted to do, um, I always wanted to be in finance or accounting. Ah. Um, my dad um, is a, um, when I was growing up, he was, he was a CFO, a finance director. He's great with numbers. I definitely get my numbers brain from him. Um, I also thought there was a, a really great salary attached to that too. So I think, you know, when I was in, you know, year seven, I worked out there would be some good coin that I could earn doing that. So that's <laughs> what I wanted to do. It's awful, right? Um, no, that's not um, awful. But, <laughs> I think um, I think for me, I um, I'm probably pretty aware that I won't be a career retailer forever. Yep. So while I've landed in this. I um, I'm always saying to people that um, you know I think Australians in the last study I read have um, twelve to thirteen different jobs in their lifetime, and I think mm-hmm. that probably breaks down to maybe two or three different careers. Um, so I think you know retail has been one career for me, but I think just like everyone, you know, a lot of reflecting in um, the last eighteen months and the skills mm. I love about my role and what could be what could maybe be be next for me. I don't think mm. any time in the in the short term term future. I still I still very much love what I do. I love working with beautiful products. I mm. love seeing people go like you know from a store manager into their next role and creating those opportunities for them. But I think. Um, I didn't think I would obviously be a career retailer who does. It's not something that, you know, your career person at school talks to you about. No. Um, but I also think it's it's um, probably not what I'm going to do forever. Maybe when I start a family, it, um, it, things might change for me. For mm-hmm. me. But um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's a bloody great career to have. It is. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's oh, probably not that compatible with um, family life just yet, is it? Like retail, probably yeah. one of the last industries. But it's so, you know what, just circling back on what you said about um, working out in year seven, like what roles would pay you well? Like, I don't think that's bad at all. I quite often talk about, um, you know, I did my postgrad in career development education. And I think the report you're referring to is one that it's called The Future of, um, of Work. And um, yeah, and it looks at transferable skill set and it looks at like, you know, obviously how, um, yeah, we probably previously careers counsellor, career counsellors in school were typically known for matching you, oh, you're good at this, therefore you should do this, um, as opposed to looking at, uh, they now look at a cluster of skill set and say, okay, great, well, if you've, if you're, um, you know, naturally strong at economics or maths or whatever subject you're doing in school, um, why don't you look at this spectrum of roles? And then it used to look at the level of education required for those and then you could kind of see, okay, well, what am I prepared to do and how much study do I want to do? And um, and then kind of then look at the um, cluster of roles available to you and they certainly were not like industry specific. Actually, it could be across a really wide spectrum. But one of the things I think we never talk about in school is like how financially rewarding are certain occupations um and of course you know lots of things that we're noticing now you know there's lots of people who decide to become teachers and nurses and things like that that require like a substantial investment of uh education and certainly uh, you know in most developed countries are definitely not getting the same level of remuneration that they deserve so I wonder you know if we had some more conversations around what we're worth and salary and that kind of thing if um that might have changed people's direction so I just think that shows that you're really tenacious and 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 strategic which I think is awesome it's obviously a fairly natural attribute of yours that you've always been a bit of a strategic thinker or a critical thinker um I think more people should be like that, absolutely, because that's, I feel, people go into these feeling really passionate about their role and then that passion only gets you so far, you know, because obviously realities of working in that occupation kick in and then you think, oh, actually, and then, of course, if you look at that traditional careers counsellor thing, um, 
you've been told this is what you're matched to. So that's why a lot of people think about when they need to pivot or move into something else. Well, I've only ever just done this. So in regards to our listeners, a lot of the time they say, I've only ever just done retail, so I can't go anywhere else. Whereas we know um, there's a huge level of occupations that you can move into. I mean, still obviously being in fashion or maybe not, but, you know, there's so much that you can do. Um, working with people or yeah Yeah. just but most of the time people don't even know like I I feel like so many people don't even know about merchandise planning or um you know demand planning or you know what do those roles do and how why they're so critical so um yeah I think it's awesome that you've done that yeah and so you mentioned obviously a couple of people you've worked with for a long time um would you say I mean well who had who has had the biggest impact on your career to date yeah it's, it's a really, it's a very hard question to answer. And I think it's probably like a short list of maybe like 10 people. Um, but I think the one that stands out for me the most was that state manager at MIMCO. She, um, she was um, probably the one that um, showed me the retail rope. She was the first person I watched in a, um, a multi-site role in terms of a role that, you know, looked after multiple stores or it would have been 20 mm. stores at the time. Um, I admired her a lot or I love I just loved her because she was so different to me so mm. you know, she wasn't chasing the title or the start salary or what's my next step or I really you know I really want to climb this retail ladder um, she was really selfless in it for the people in it for you know seeing and helping other people get to where they wanted to be um, genuine not corporate kind of wrote her own rules um, and again wasn't really chasing anything but um kind of help uh, happiness and, and self-satisfaction. Um, mm. And I remember one of my fondest memories of her, and I think this is just an example of how she really did give all of herself, like her true self um, to, you know, to, to work and to her team was um, we used to go to her house. Like we used to go to her house for these like all day, like roster workshops. So we'd sit around <laughs> like dining room table. And I remember sitting there and she would, she would teach me how to, yeah, calculate the store's wages for the month and, you know, um, how to change that how to impact that um if you added more what would be the impact on sales and I remember I remember doing that with her and I look back at that I'm like wow she like she really did care like she would have us house and she'd cook she'd cook us lunch and um so she she was really special and as I said she was the one that um push me to to take that big plunge and and move to Perth um but I think outside of that that the two people that I work with um currently at the moment who I've worked with for years my my director and my group um group general manager um they've had they've had a huge amount of impact on me personally and professionally and I think we've we've gotten through a lot together um I'd like I'd like to think that um I've been able to impact things positively for um, them, probably both mm-hmm. personally and professionally. But, yeah. also, um, you know, for me, I would not be, um, I guess, the leader um, or the influencer I am today with, without their, with, you know, without their input, input, without their feedback, without their transparency, rawness, openness, um, uh, you know, they, um, they're two really incredible people. And um, if I'm really honest, I've, I'm probably a hybrid of those two two people. Um, one's mm-hmm. female, one's a male, and I, you know, take a bit of him and take a bit of her. And um, I'm really proud of that. To be able to say I'm almost like a morphed little hybrid version of them is yeah. is really is really cool. But if if I look at all those kind of significant career steps I've taken, it's been because those two people have have believed in me and and you know carved that path out out for me. Um, nice hmm. that's awesome my question um oh I know I know especially when you kind of have been you know in your career for for longer than 10 years or you know then there's lots of people that have impact on your career absolutely what has been the most unexpected part of being a national or a general manager like either role that you think people wouldn't know about like tell us a little bit more about like yeah those unexpected or unglamorous parts of the role well, a good unexpected thing is kind of what we were saying before. You can earn, you can, you can earn a lot of money doing, um, yeah. doing you know, um, uh, uh, I guess a senior executive, executive level, executive level retail role. So I think people don't realise um, that there is a lot up for grabs. There's a lot of really wonderful perks, um, a lot of wonderful um, commission bonus schemes out there. Um, and, you know, if you're prepared to stick with something and really give it a go and prove your worth, um, the base salary that you can you know you can earn yourself is is pretty significant too so that Mm. that to me has been um 
has been a really nice, nice surprise. And a bit like you said before, has probably allowed me to, you know, um, create a really great lifestyle for myself and not, not consider, oh, I have to move to a different industry to get, to get that kind of, um, mm. I, can, I can actually do it in retail. I think in terms of the unglamorous part, um, when you, when you're in, I guess, maybe a store management or middle management role, you often look up to the person at the top um, and that person's a visionary. That person is the person that comes out to the stores and often says, well, Diane, you're doing such a great job and this is going really well. I think when you're at the top with that person or you're, you know, you're, um, you're that person's right-hand man, you, you see that you see that person's um, full scope of the, of the business and you see their rawness, you um, get their real views on things. Um, they're completely transparent. And I think for me, um, uh, like if I look at the last two years and what's that meant, it's it's a really hard role being a head of retail or being a general manager with and going through, I guess, going on that roller coaster, roller coaster with that person and mm. helping them making some of those really um, really challenging decisions. So um, I guess when you when you get to that sort of role, you kind of think oh, I'm going to ma- be managing all these great people. I'm going to be managing this great team. You also have to manage up. You actually mm. have to manage up more than anything else. You have to manage that person, their expectations, their emotions. Um, you have to support them you have to be there for them um and to me that's like that's that's probably the the biggest part of the role if you if you can't do that then nothing else will work so Mm. I think um I think it's it's not an unglamorous part but um it's a it's it's um it's a really it's a really tricky part sometimes because Mm. um you're working so closely with the person that um uh, yeah either owns the business or has probably the most at stake Mm, absolutely and it's so interesting that you talk about that because it is you know those those soft skills of like emotional intelligence and influencing that are so so critical in these positions I think in any position but um I find as well that you can't um that you need to be a little bit more measured in your responses you know so you can't just respond with your instincts um you know you have to really think about what you're saying and who you're saying it to and um you know a little piece of unfiltered feedback can have big repercussions right when you're dealing like if you're going up the chain or down the chain you know an un, unguarded moment of just saying something off the cuff if you've had a bad day or a little bit tired or something wasn't to standard like you know that's something that I always find really interesting particularly in management roles and that's something that I've always um tried to implore upon clients is to really be mindful of how you talk about your team or how you talk about head office or the things that you say um you know, that it might not necessarily be a quantifiable or qualified comment that you're making, um, but that someone can literally take you at your word and then that can be, um, you know, very damaging um, when you move forward. So, yeah, it is a lot of, and I I don't want to make it sound like you're constantly like, um, buffering out the message oh, but you know you are constantly thinking about how you're going to communicate aspects of the business yeah, you, you can still have a really raw um, real transparent open honest conversation with someone but like you said you need to be considered about what's coming out of your mouth I still for every single meeting I have with either my director or one of my um, you know one of one of my other direct reports um, as an example um, I still plan for every conversation I have I, I have notes that I consider and I jot down whether it's just while I'm getting my coffee before work or five minutes before mm. it starts if I don't have those notes in front of me then for me things will come out of my mouth that aren't um, aren't appropriate or maybe I regret after or um, you know wish I'd said another way or you know maybe I've missed something that I re- it was really important for me to get across so but yeah. every conversation I, I have to this day I, I still jot down a few notes beforehand and if there's any um, prickly topics or uncomfortable topics that have to be discussed they're they're the things that I, I do write down word for word because you've, you've just got to nail it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Cause I do that too. So I'm so happy to meet someone else. who does that. <laughs> so, It's not like a transcript, but do you know what I mean? I just, feel, I just feel like that's so important. Um, you know, you can make or break someone's day, right? Like when you're, when they're reporting into you or whatever feedback you're giving, obviously when I'm recruiting any conversations that need to be had, or I need to convey something that a client has communicated to me. And then I'm mindful that it could, 
come across in a in a way that wasn't intended or I want it to land the exact way. So I I, I endorse that massively. I believe like planning for every meeting is is pretty important um, because I've seen so many meetings go off track as well. Certainly as I've observed through you know um, consulting to businesses or even just being involved in in feedback meetings, I can see literally the minute it goes off track, and that's because someone's just chucked like a a grenade of a, a unplanned and comment in and then it's just like blown up in everyone's face so yeah for sure um and you talked about obviously standing out um as a store manager like tell me about your standout employee right now like when you think of success you think of this person like what behaviors do they model I've, I've probably got a handful at the moment actually yeah why these people stand out right now is because um, they were the pillars of strength over the last couple of years. So um, we're obviously not going to, um, fingers crossed, touch wood, have another pandemic anytime soon, but mm. what these people do, they stood up tall. They were a leader for everyone else. They were, they were, they were inspiration for even me um, mm. through a really challenging pe- uh, period. I think when, um, you know, there's momentum and there's success building, it's really great for everyone to get up and about. When, but when the world is crumbling around us or results are crap or um, things aren't going to plan who are the people that forge ahead and actually you know are able to shine even brighter and stand up even taller Um, Mm. so I think you know they're the people that stand out in my mind at the moment because at the end of what we've just gone through they are the people that we're just like bravo you've just you have just um, you have been the people that have gotten us through this period and when everybody else is having their moment or having a crappy day which we all had these are the people that just just continue to, to turn up and do what they had to do I think um, what these people have in common is um, they're consistent. Um, mm. And you know what you're going to get with these people. Um, you know, if I consider one of these people calling them every day throughout the um, pandemic, we kept, for example, in Sydney, we kept our staff on. They continued to work. They continued to consider how they could generate revenue for the business. Um, so I would call this team member every day. And every day I just got the same version of this team member. Um, she wasn't having a good day. She wasn't having a bad day. She was just having a normal day. Um, she's consistent consistent in her professional life. She's consistent in her personal life. She gets up at 5 a.m. every morning. She does the same thing every morning. Um, she has the same coffee order every morning. She has a healthy diet. So she's she's an overall consistent performer in life. And I think, you know, as um, as a leader to have a team member that's that's like that is um, um, actually in a way makes them stand out. Mm. Mm. And I think the other um, the other thing that um, these people or my, my standouts, if I'll call them that at the moment, um, have um, that maybe others don't have um, or need some help um, with is they're self-starters like they turn up every day and if they don't get a call from me or they don't have the direction for the day or the week or whatever it might be um, they get on with it they find their own way um, they never run out of great ideas they can come up with those great ideas or find that inspiration for themselves and their teams um, on their own so again you, you just don't have to worry about these people and that's why they stand out because they just get on with it so mm. you know another restriction or another rule has been enforced in Melbourne and I've got these people up in Sydney as an example um, I don't need to worry that business will keep ticking on over up there because that I just know they're going to take care of it for me. They're being consistent. Um, they can find a way on their own. Um, they again can generate generate an idea to solve a problem, um, or you know to find a solution to something that's popped up last minute without me. Like they're just um, yeah they you know I think they stand out for that for that reason. Um, mm-hmm. And I think as we continue to, to navigate through the, the current situation, they'll continue to stand out for those reasons. They'll continue to consistently perform. They'll consistently um, find a way and they'll um, continue, I think, to just deliver great results be- because of kind of those foundational um, attributes that they've got. Mm. It's so interesting as well, because I'm sure um, well, you would have been working through the GSC as well. Like, And I remember prior to the GSC, like, it was just like, Oh, it was just so easy, you know, like it, it was, yeah. everyone was making money, everyone was doing well, stores were performing, um, the business I was working in, we opened like 20 stores in 18 months, like it just went gangbusters, which, you know, actually probably on reflection wasn't the smartest strategy anyway, because, you know, needed to sustain those stores. Um, and then the GFC hit and it was like nothing anyone had seen before. And it was recessions and closing stores and making people redundant. I always I always really reflect on that moment and actually the tail end of the GSC is when I started in recruitment in London which is a very interesting um, baptism of fire Um, but I always think 
think like, you know, you, you, you don't become great in the great times, you know, you, you don't become a great retailer when everything is just brilliant and going your way, Like you become a great retailer when things are really tough um, and, you know, you've got to push and you've got to innovate and you've got to come up with great ideas and, you know, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily going to come really easily. Absolutely. You've, you've got to be an entrepreneur. And I think, again, when I think of my, my strongest leaders, um, either in our store spaces or within our corporate team at the moment, um, they, they are entrepreneurs. They've just continued to find ways to get things done, to deliver results. And they, um, they're outrageous. Like some of the yeah. things that we've, like, that we've come up with or we've done, we, like a couple of years ago, or certainly, you know, five or 10 years ago, like we would never have thought we've done, but um, we've got all these new tools in our toolkit. We've, um, acquired all of these new skills that we've just never had never had to even consider before um, yeah. so yeah it's um it's, yeah it's a different you time gotta, the time yeah you got to be grateful for some of those times you know and I think the same thing we'll look back on the pandemic and although there's been so much devastation and it's been so challenging you know there will definitely be silver linings that emerge from this and I think it will be a positive for some people's careers and even for the people that possibly have lost their roles I I always like to think that there's you know a a greater plan out there you know that maybe they needed to be moved on from that role to then find their new career and um, it's not as simplistic as that but hopefully you know that will be the case for a lot of people Um, so what advice do you have for anyone who feels like they just work on the shop floor like they're a bit you know that whole thing of telling your family that you work in retail or telling someone that you meet that you just work in retail like what advice do you have for those people I think um, these people just have to own this I think yeah I think they've hit the jackpot if they if that's what they've decided and they that's what they really enjoy, that's what their passion is, that's what makes them happy, that's where their cup is full. Um, if they think that's their calling, like they should absolutely um, own this and be be really proud of it, and maybe almost have their like their elevator pitch ready on like what is so incredible about about retail, a bit like what we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Um, like what are the what are the perks and um, what are the really wonderful things, skills, elements mm-hmm. that come with that but Mm. I think think in terms of um, you know being someone that is maybe looking at recruiting staff and um, looking at recruiting um, uh, talent for uh, the store setting whether it be um, in a leadership role or a sales associate role I think for me these these people are a hot commodity and again they should be really proud to to own that because they're people that are ultimately looking at honing their craft um Mm. they're they're people that are probably going to be experts in their field because again they've they've stuck with a particular role and they they're happy to be in that store space so that they have got more experience in that than than anybody else so Mm. um, I think these people um, shouldn't shy away from that. I, I certainly, whenever I meet anyone and they say, what do you do? Um, I say I work in retail and I'm, I'm really conscious and really mindful about how I say that because I, I want to be really loud and proud about it. Um, mm. And I think anybody that, um, you know, just wants to work on the shop floor should be, should be, should be really proud to, 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 share, to share that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. What about this whole talk about the great resignation? Okay, so obviously that's all everyone's well, it was all everyone was talking about. And then of course, you know, the last month has been obviously really focused on just getting through. But what about in um your current role? Are you feeling the effects of the great resignation with any of your team? Or, you know, have you put anything in place to try and counteract it? Um, do you think it's even going to be a thing? Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm no expert on the topic. I t- it doesn't feel like to me um, that it's really taken off here yet or certainly from where mm. I'm, I'm sitting in my role, it, it, I'm, not, I'm not really feeling that yet. You know, if I'm looking at my, um, my current team, I haven't seen many people, um, I haven't had many people resign, I haven't, I haven't had many people leave. Not to mm. say it's but it certainly hasn't happened yet if it's going mm-hmm. to and the flip side of that, the few roles that um, I have vacant that we're recruiting for, I'm not really getting um, uh, a huge amount of applications or I'm not seeing um, anything more than normal coming through there. So mm. me, it doesn't feel like if it's going to happen, I don't feel like it's happened yet. I don't feel like it's, you know, the same thing as maybe it is over in the States, for example. Mm. Um, I'm not sure that it will happen. I'm, you know, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah. I think that people um, that are, um, have stuck with their role throughout the pandemic, um, I think they're in a position now where um, they're either 
not looking because they were treated well, they were happy with how their um, business um, or the company that they work for communicated, how open, transparent, um, if they uh, had to stand them down, maybe how well they set them up with or um, led them to get themselves sorted out with um, uh, JobKeeper, whatever it might be. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, people will um, probably remain loyal um, to their businesses this year or, you know, their companies on um, early in the new year, um, if they've been looked after or they felt like, you know, they were understood and, and, and genuinely cared for. And then I think the flip side of that is anybody that stuck with their employer just to play it safe because they knew it was a risky move to jump elsewhere. Um, if they weren't looked after, and again, when I say looked after, I don't necessarily mean not stood down or stood down. I mean more, you know, how did they communicate? Did they keep it yeah. Did they maybe set them up with some personal development and growth bits and pieces? Um, but if they weren't looked after, I, I believe those people now will be looking to move on because it does feel like um, there's probably a bit more out there now. Um, the um, I keep saying people, the pandemic's over, but I, I know it's probably... <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like our reoccurring nightmare. <laughs> but I think um, it does feel like there's more opportunities out there. And I think if businesses haven't looked after their staff over the last you know, 18, 24 months, then they might look to move now. I think, um, you know, for me right now, it is about grabbing my magnificent team who has stuck stuck with us, um, rallying them pretty quickly and and setting a a really clear vision for the year ahead. you know, we want to get a, um, a conference um, locked in pretty quickly for our retail team. We would normally have done that um, pre-pandemic, so um, look to do look to do that pretty soon, so that we can um, align ourselves for the year ahead and latch onto some goals. It's a mm. it's a funny time of year, isn't it? We're kind of in limbo. We've still got all this noise about rapid tests and some restrictions coming back into place. We still can't travel to. I've got a team over in Auckland. I can't mm. I can go and visit them. So. I think it's pretty important right now to, to for me to, to grab onto my team quickly and um, let it be known that there's a clear path um, for the year ahead and some clear, clear um, deliverables that, that we're looking to achieve. Um, mm. And then I think outside of that, um, it's important to look after those people that, as I mentioned, were pillars of strength. Imagine after, after, the, after the couple of years that we've had and how incredible those people were um, if we lost them. Mm. I think now's the time to be really considering what's next for those people. Um, are they happy in the roles that they um, are in? And if so, how can we can continue to, to keep them stimulated and, and well looking mm. after? Um, and um, if, if it is something, you know, that they're looking for that, you know, more than what they're in at the moment, then, you know, I, I think they're pretty deserving of, of that after what they've delivered. So, um, mm. yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about this great resignation thing. Um, mm. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I, I don't, I, for me, I don't feel like I haven't felt it yet. No, I mean, at the moment, I think we wish more people would resign from their roles because, the, yeah, it is really hard to recruit right now, isn't it? So, um, yeah, absolutely. And what about, okay, so because obviously one of the biggest drivers of the great resignation, right, is like talking about work-life balance. We touched on that earlier, possibly one of the aspects of being a career retailer that is um, not so compatible is obviously with starting a family and how, how do you work that and and do you ever think that retail and in particular people on the shop floor will like do you think that there's more companies could do to help them achieve work-life balance or do you feel like it's a little bit unachievable because obviously the stores are open for a set amount of time like I always find this is such an interesting conversation you know around work-life balance when you work on the shop floor not that people don't deserve work-life balance I just always wonder how how is that truly achieved while still making sure that it's uh, a viable business you know and making sure that you know if a business isn't viable if it's not hitting profit goals well then it wouldn't be around for for that much longer so then is that becoming redundant you know that whole question what do you think do you think the future of retail you know do you think it will ever kind of have more of that work-life balance is that possible um I'm pretty old. I'm pretty old school, so um, I, I like the way things things are. And I like like you say, like at the end of the day, we're looking at to deliver a result. So you know, as a really small example, like what are the two busiest trading days of the week in most businesses or in my business? It's a Saturday mm. or a Sunday. So I need mm. I need people on those days. Um, I, you know, on the flip side of that, I heard about a really fantastic um, retail business the other day. I, I shop there. I shop there a lot, um, and 
they um, have Monday to Friday rosters for all of their store leaders. Um, and also basically over the Christmas New Year period said, you know, you've had a big year, take, you know, take all the time off that you want. And I was like, this is, this is outrageous. How do I get a role here? Um, but since I actually heard that, I've heard that they're getting a lot of resignations. It's a bit of a, it's a bit uh -huh. of a fight with rostering. And um, it just, it sounds like it's all over the show. And I, I, I assume that on, you know, a flow and effect of that is that performance probably hasn't been, been great. Um, and probably cult culture isn't either because people are coming and coming and going. So um, I think for me, I think there is, I think flexibility um, can be there in that um, I think if you find someone really great and maybe they've got some runs on the board and um, again, these these people that I mentioned before, like they're standouts, they're pillars of strength and they maybe they've done a couple of years in that standard Tuesday to Saturday store manager role. If you trust that person, they trust you and you you build a really great relationship, you know, between them and the business over time. And they're the people for me that um, you should be permitting some flexibility for. Um, if mm. they want to go and start a family, you want to keep them in the business. So, you know, mm. how, how can you, how can you find, find a way um, to be able to do that so it suits that person's lifestyle but also supports the needs of the business. So mm. you know, I, I, I think you have to be flexible to keep keep great people because things things change for people, um, people's priorities, focuses, travel mm. intentions, life plans um, change. So I think if you want to keep someone really great or, um, yeah, re retain great talent, I think you, um, you, you probably need to be open-minded and um, be prepared to be flexible there. Mm, absolutely. Okay, interesting. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Honestly, I feel like I could chat to you forever about every topic, um, but I won't take up any more of your time, seeing as I know you're currently having a wee holiday. Um, thank you so much um, for sharing your insights. I, honestly, your career is really inspiring, and I know that lots of people will be very excited to um, listen to this episode. So thank you. Thanks, Ange. Thanks for having me. No problems. You just tuned in to another episode of Beyond the Shop Floor podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you got some great insight from today's podcast. Of course, I do work as a private career coach, a career strategist, and a recruitment expert to the fashion industry. But of course, anyone outside of that industry is welcome to join us as well. If you would like to connect with me personally about being a guest on Beyond the Shop Floor podcast or you would like to work with me in some capacity, you can email me at ange at thetalentmill.com.au and that's ange with an E or you can hang out with me on any of the social media platforms. Of course, we love a good little LinkedIn hang um, or you can find me on Instagram at thetalentmill.com. AU or be on the shop floor podcast. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time.